My name's Liana Berry and you're listening to Art Muse Podcast, a podcast about the intersections between art, healing and creativity. Okay, here we are. I'm so excited to have you for the first episode of Art Muse. Uh, I was just having a think about the different types of creativity and art making and also what sort of draws me to this profession and, you know, art making as a personal pursuit. And I think it really is something to do with all the dualities and the complexities um, of the process and just the ambiguity. It's really hard sometimes to reduce art therapy, healing arts, art making creativity into succinct definitions and I'm really excited to instead of try to do that actually expand out your experience and your exposure to art making and creativity in the context of the Art Muse podcast. So we're going to be interviewing a whole range of beautiful people and that's going to be alternated with me speaking um, and musing and reflecting over different topics. And what you will discover along the way is that although each of the people who will be guests have quite different mediums that they use or different stories, they all interweave art making with the human journey. Art making is such a human, humble, necessary, enriching and nourishing thing. It's age old, and that's probably one of the first dualities. It's this, this age old, like culturally woven practice that, in some ways, is so familiar to us and so integral to the way that humans live. But in other ways, it can feel out of reach for a lot of people, and it can feel like there's a standard, and a lot of people are quite embarrassed by their creativity. They I still meet so many people and I think it is slowly changing but I still meet so many people that say oh I'm not good at art you know they preface like that like that is the most important thing to have art exist in the world it must be good and I really want to see that broken down so much more because it is not about being good even and who sets the standard of good anyway but it really just is about participation and it is just about discovering joy and being playful and being self-reflective and making time for self-expression and being emotional and connecting with other people and finding ways to make the world beautiful and problem solving and experimenting and you know art is this like amazing vehicle to do all of those things and it's incredibly exciting and it's also messy and it's hard and it's difficult and it will challenge you and you will doubt yourself and you will get agitated and frustrated and it will hold up a mirror to some of your internal struggles and that's perfectly okay and you're very welcome here wherever you are in that journey and if you have taken a break from art making or you're in a place where you're really struggling with it and really wrestling with it or you just really don't know and you're really confused by it like you're welcome here this is for anyone um, who is curious about art making and its application in life and how it can support you and I think it is important to touch on a couple of things 
particularly language in this podcast. I do tend to use my language at times a little bit interchangeably, I guess. You know, there's art making and creativity and there's creative therapists and art therapists. And yeah, when I say art, like I think most of us, when we use our language, we come from a a personal place, like a, you know, a self-orientated place. And I'm a visual artist, I have an undergrad in visual arts and then my master's in art therapy and I paint. I like I'm a 2D person. Yeah, so I come from this place of saying art. But what I want to say is that art and creativity can be encompassing of so many things. Obviously, there's music and drama and there's dance, there's design, there's things like cooking and textiles and gardening and there's just so many different ways we express ourselves creatively and so this isn't exclusive to any type of medium at all. So let's move on to art therapy. Um, I'm laughing because it is a complicated term at the moment. There is a registration body in Australia. They're fabulous. They're called Anzacata and they tier um, memberships so that there's a bit more understanding of the levels of qualification for art therapists and creative therapists. At the top tier is a professionally registered creative therapist. Um, they have to have a master's degree and they are also bound by quite a few requirements like supervision and achieving a certain amount of professional development. And there is a lot of advocacy at the moment for art therapy to become a protected title. Obviously, there is some heated discussion around what happens to all the other people that are doing incredible work. You know, what do they call themselves? There's a few suggestions out there. There's art facilitators, art practitioners. There's people sometimes use terms like art psychotherapist to try and distinguish, you know, the practice levels. And what it fundamentally comes down to is this kind of blurriness and this chaos felt sometimes by people working in the profession that it's not clear who has what experience and how to make sure there's like a good ethical standing so when I first graduated I like held pretty strongly onto the title of art therapist and you know would have ranted at you that art therapists need to have a master's level qualification and while I still really advocate for people to educate themselves as much as possible particularly in environments when you're working with vulnerable people I have seen so many situations where artists and art teachers and group facilitators um, youth workers have all done some really incredible powerful work with people and supporting people using art as a medium and you know people have got so many gains from it so I, I don't know if I still sign up to the exclusivity so much but what I do sign up to is ethics and I think titles often just help distinguish um, ethical standing yeah it's a tricky topic it is a really difficult topic and I just think it's so important if you are looking for art therapy support that you do spend some time reflecting on what you want and also spend some time researching the person that you're getting support from or you're going to be approaching and make sure that they correlate or that you're going in open-minded and aware that there's other options because I think that's where things get unstuck 
is that people become so accustomed to language when it's your norm that you think that people know the differences. So I have had people approach me saying that they're looking for art classes and what they're actually looking for is art therapy. And I've learned the hard way, you know, that is really important for me to check in like, okay, so you're looking for an art class. Do you mean with a group of other people or, or for your child with a group of other children, you know, looking at artists and art techniques or do you mean you want some one-on-one support with emotions or to increase functional goals um, with your disability um, or your child's disability? You know, so it's it's really about opening up that conversation um, and and with yourself if you're the one seeking it. But if you're an art therapist or an art practitioner here um, or someone that's really interested in how art can be applied in a nurturing context, then have a, a really clear idea of the boundaries of language and how they can impact people again it's not about exclusivity I know that art making in itself is inherently cathartic it's self-applicable in a lot of ways you can find I mean look at the coloring in movement for goodness sake like it's there's so many ways that art making doesn't have to be like an expert model you don't have to be taught art by a master artist and you don't have to get therapeutic gain from art by going to an art therapist but (laughs) a clinically trained art therapist will be extremely helpful for some people and they have been trained in a way that they understand the vulnerabilities they understand the risks they know how to adapt the art materials they're using they know how to look out for you know red flags for how to manage difficult symptoms how to put you on a pathway to achieve your goals there's just a natural variation um, that happens in any industry of people that are qualified and trained versus people that aren't it's like baking and I know that sounds like a crass comparison But if you get someone who's trained in making pastries in France for years and then you get a home baker who is self-taught, I'm not saying the home baker does not make delicious things to eat, but there's going to be a difference in their products. There's going to be a skill set that one of them has versus the other one. And it's the same with art therapy. The person providing the service is going to have a different skill set and a different ability and if you reflect on what you need you might need one or the other you know you might just be happy to go along to a paint and sip night and get your art fix and know that it's taught by someone who's really nurturing and really lovely and is like on the confidence train and you know yells at you like your personal trainer that you can do it but you might need someone who can hold your darkness for you And so, you know, you might be willing to trial and error that, you know, there are some amazing healers that come from places outside of our strict, regimented training structure, academic structure. And I'm really careful here because I know that there's a lot of cultural healing that doesn't fit into the academic world and the institutionalized world so it is a gray messy complicated discussion to have but I just wanted to raise a few points I just wanted to let you know that 
you know, art therapy is diverse. The people that practice it are diverse. And while we're on ethics, I do see still, I still have an active client list. So I see um, kids and families in particular, but also adults for art therapy work. And some of you might be listening, which is wonderful. You're welcome. You're very much welcome to listen. You also might be wondering why you haven't been asked to be a guest. If you have an incredible story, you might feel like, well, why is it not being shared? Why is my story not important enough to be shared? And that's an ethical boundary. So I don't have any clients as guests on this show. When you enter into therapy, you have a right for confidentiality and privacy and to be in a nurturing, safe, held space. Because of the pre-existing relationship we have, I have a responsibility to maintain a certain space for you. I think there's probably one last thing I want to run over, um, which is the big question, like what is art therapy? Like how can it apply to me and healing arts and like how are they different? So I kind of like to think of it as like, so imagine... You're in one of those meetings, like we've most of us have been in one at school, at university, or in some training for our job, where they ask a question, and you have to go and stand on um, either end of a line or in the middle, based on your opinion. That's a continuum or a spectrum. Um, you've got kind of either end, and then you've got in between the end. And so with art therapy, I kind of like to think like down one end, we have clinical art therapy and down the other end, we have art making in its purest, simplest, not motivated to be anything more form. And then we've got everything in between and it's not like neither end is right. Like it's not a zero to 10. There is just like one end for point of clarification. and. The thing is, art's valuable across the entire continuum. So, you know, in art therapy, in a clinical sense, like therapists are really pulling and tugging at the aspects of art making and creativity to work towards your goals. So um, that might be in a mental health setting, that might be in a chronic illness setting, that might be to have more functionality um, in an OT setting. There's so many different ways that clinical art therapists work. So it might be getting you to be able to be more freely expressive, emotionally expressive. It might be getting you to be able to support you to share a concept of self and develop a concept of self and build confidence and build mastery. The art making might be around using your hands bilaterally and building up muscle strength um, and trying new textures and trying new materials. It might be around increasing your enjoyment and finding occupational engagement. Clinical art therapists might be helping you to process a story and to build a narrative and integrate and recover and heal from something that's been problematic, problematic or traumatic. So there's kind of like all of these different ways that art therapists will be um, supporting you using clinical art therapy. And then like right down the other end, we've got just art making. And a lot of people find that just art making, you know, I don't like to use the word just, but um, 
you know, art making in its kind of more, its more independent form is really soothing and supportive. And so down that end, you might be crafting or arting or colouring at home or you might be going to like a paint and sip class or a workshop and learning new skills. And a lot of people say like art is my therapy. <laughs> I find it therapeutic and there is no question in those spaces. There is ne- not necessarily any kind of like co- direct correlation between expressing emotion at the same time. Um, you might just be drawing flowers or painting flowers or dancing to Rihanna and you find that nourishing and then there's kind of like all these spaces in between that pop up where you know art making is semi-structured or it might be journaling or it might be so there's an intent there for it to be something more to have an extra layer on top of the art making so you know that doesn't fit into just that generalized art making and it doesn't fit into clinical art therapy but still value so there's value across the entire continuum and the entire spectrum I guess the point of me kind of getting into the nitty-gritty of this a little bit is because sometimes we will call all of this art therapy. (laughs) Sometimes we'll call all of this therapeutic art talk. As often, so often happens with language is that it doesn't encompass at all. It doesn't, it's like that, it's like that concept of like the lion, the witch and the wardrobe where the wardrobe opens up into a, another world or the cavernous handbag where it looks like a handbag and then underneath is like endless um, endless room for different things. Art therapy is like this this gate, but behind it is, is just so much variation. Okay, so the rest of the podcast today, I am going to be sharing a little bit more about me and my story. I am quite a private person (laughs) so it's lovely to actually push myself to share a little bit more about my journey here. I was a very creative child. I was also what I have since learned is a highly sensitive child um, and I'm still a really highly sensitive person. I by rule of thumb don't watch much TV um, or series I don't have any streaming services um, or movies I do still watch them sometimes but as any of my family or my close friends will attest my husband I am super super picky (laughs) and that's just because I have a real sensitivity to visual the visual medium particularly in violence and cruelty yeah so I guess that was a bit of a backdrop for my childhood I was really quite anxious. I have three beautiful siblings. I'm a triplet so two of my siblings are my triplet sisters and so I didn't experience much time being alone Um, and this was fantastic like there's always someone to play with and you know someone's always got your back and you kind of have these instant friends. Um, We definitely still squabbled but there was so much value from it. But I really did find being independent really tricky and that was something as I grew into my adolescence and into my adulthood I had to learn a lot around how to feel safe by being alone. But interestingly looking back one of the spaces I could be alone and be with myself contently was in art making. So I have was fortunate enough to have parents that really supported creativity um, were really proud of my creativity 
I did have a short stint doing a couple of tuition classes and the lady was very kind but she also did a lot of the work for me (laughs) Um, I guess to get an ascetic standard which is quite amusing looking back but apart from that short stint I really just did a lot of at home I was just we were just super creative at home and um, that might come from having siblings and from the nurturing from my parents particularly my mum my parents separated quite young um, but my mum had a pencil box in the pantry and it was this lovely big plastic container with a green lid and inside was just all our ex-school materials and probably a few extras popped in but there was pencils and crayons and textures and something Australians call zooms I'm not sure if you're from anywhere else in the world whether they exist but they're kind of like these sort of plastic twistable crayons and yeah we had these like like pieces of wood mdf and for resting our paper on and lots of cartridge paper and we we were just able to draw whenever we wanted to which was quite frequently and we could take you know our board and our pencil box wherever in the house you know in the lounge room or in our bedroom or um, up at the table and it was so lovely it was something that I yeah have such fond memories of of always drawing and we would make cards and we'd write letters to each other about some sneaky adventure we were planning between us or we would write to our English grandparents which was also really lovely and draw pictures you know for our cousins yeah I do I don't have a great memory which is an also interesting thing about me it is um quite patchy But I do remember a little bit about art in primary school and my primary school was lucky enough to have a specialist art teacher and she was an artist, Mrs King. And yeah, we did some really cool projects, like really cool projects. My mum still has some of them, which is really nice. So I obviously got quite a lot of creative exposure there. And by the time I got to high school, art really was becoming a sanctuary for me. By the time I graduated high school, as in my final few years, I had taken art as a TE, which was the exam level subject. And, oh, I just loved it. So shout out to my high school art teacher, Miss Totten. There was a really small group of us, actually. And growing up in the country, we actually got to go on art camp, which was the biggest highlight, which meant traveling five hours to the city. And we stayed in, I think it was accommodation for country students. And yeah, it was really fun. And my sister went, so I felt really comfortable um, because she had my back (laughs) and she was there. And there was only a small group of us actually that did TE art. And I was spending lunch times in the art room um, by the time I was in year 12. Not all of them, but a, a, a fairly chunky chunk especially towards the end of the year. We were working on like, you know, final projects to have an exhibition. And yeah, I did this super large painting that was emotionally driven. I was a pretty emotional (laughs) teenager and it ended up getting selected by the headmaster and bought by him, um, which was really lovely and it did give me such a boost of confidence. Around year 11 or year 12, I was wondering what to do and come from a really caring family and it was kind of always on my radar 
also kind of, I guess, being wired the same way to try and help the world and to be of benefit to other people. And I really, really, I guess, fixated on that. Like, you know, whatever I was going to do after school, it needed to be helpful for other people. And that was the point of life. Like, I didn't want to be self-indulgent. And so I, I was kind of like stumbling around, like, you know, what do I do? Like, I had clear interest, art, quite enjoyed English. Not many other subjects appealed to me and I wanted to help people. And um, I think I was flicking through a handbook, like one of those career handbooks, and I saw art therapy and I was like, perfect, this is me. And I really just stuck on that and like uh, continued to make choices that could get me to be an art therapist. So I did, you had to do an undergrad grad and then you had to do quite a lot of work experience and um, a big application to get into art therapy and before you started you had to do summer intensive of counseling skills so yeah I, I moved to the city moved to the big smoke pushed myself to to try and thrive in that environment which was yeah full of ups and downs and roller coasters but I did really enjoy my undergrad in visual arts and uh, three years of that relished it and then I just really dug in to trying to like get as much experience working in the community to make my art therapy application successful so I did a lot of home care did some volunteer to do some volunteering with a couple of art there art therapists and yeah it felt like a lot and like looking back it's always such a short amount of time and like it's so interesting looking back I think I'm always wary of like sharing my story because it's often the temptation is to formulate it you sort of like pluck out the things that make sense and put them in an order that makes sense and that's not really often the lived experience of something like it's it's more complicated and more messy and more emotional than that but what kind of always was apparent was that I had this goal, I had this focus of getting into art therapy. And so at the time, there was no art therapy master's degree courses in the city that was closest to my hometown, which was Perth. And so I and my um, boyfriend at the time, who's luckily my husband now, um, we moved to Melbourne. Um, so across the other side of the country and it was a ball like I loved my master of art therapy course like loved it it's two years coursework it's super intense but it just immerses you into so many different things and I love the research and I loved uh, the placement although it challenged me I was one of the younger people to take on the course I was just 20 I was 22 when I started, 24 when I graduated, which isn't super common. There was a small group of us that were in our 20s and early 30s, and then there was quite a few mature age students. Obviously, there's a lot of benefit from coming to a helping profession a little bit later. Um, You sort of know yourself a little bit more. But I was persistent, and I certainly had some very strong and sharp like lessons along the way. Like I have a little bit of a giggle every now and again because we got given an assignment on attachment so if you don't know what attachment is it's the internal templates that we form in our childhood that like naturally we navigate our adult relationships with unless we change them and so 
they, if they're unhealthy, if they are anxiously structured, if they're avoidantly structured, if they're ambivalently structured, we can see patterns of behavior and, and patterns of relational struggles in our adulthood that stem from these patterns that we learnt and that we integrated as children like this understanding like as children we've only got you know a few experience persistent consistent experiences of what a relationship is and that's usually our primary caregivers and so it does shape us and it's not like it's set in stone and that you have to condemn your life to a certain outcome if you've had a, a problematic or traumatic childhood or even just had parents that weren't aware of their own patterns of relating but it does shape us and it does require some work to be conscious of these patterns and I'm quite amused to say that when we got that assignment I was like rolling my eyes internally and I I cannot remember what I wrote in it and I can't find it but I I think I went along with the brief but internally I was like no nope absolutely not our childhood experiences do not affect us they do not (laughs) they do not map the future and I get what like young me was thinking you know headstrong being like you can be whoever you want to be empowerment like just work hard and you can do it you can achieve it but that just like is a bit of life experience and a bit of time and a little bit of learning that needed to happen in my own relationships and so yeah I I often like wonder about my trajectory of growth as an art therapist and as a person and studying so young and getting my master's degree so young obviously I wouldn't go back and change anything next year's my 10th year of being an art therapist but yeah there was it definitely added an interesting element to it and there was some really sharp learning curves I mean and thankfully like I'm quite a sponge when it comes to learning new things like my first response is often no but I don't keep the no I like do flex and soften and come around and integrate and experiment but I'd need time like I'm a person that needs a bit of time and yeah my career as an art therapist has been really interesting I worked full-time for a couple of years when I graduated learned a little bit the hard way about getting burnt out it was an intense job I met some incredible people I got some incredible life experiences I hope that I supported the clients I worked with but it was hard and I took a little break after that did a few other things and then my break ended up extending longer than I thought it would and that was partly because of burnout it takes you a long time to anyone who's been burnt out like properly burnt out knows that it does take a long time to come back if you come back so when I did leave I was like oh maybe art therapy isn't for me and I hadn't really like looking back I hadn't really stopped to really figure it out like I had found art therapy in that handbook and I was like go 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 and I'd really enjoyed studying and I thrived off it but life kind of caught up Um, And the reality of working with, you know, really vulnerable people and hearing traumatic stories every single day for, you know, full time, it took its toll. And I was working in child trauma and, you know, alongside government agencies, not within them, but alongside them where there was 
a lot of systemic failure to protect children um, and to work, you know, like there wasn't a lot of healing. There's not a lot of healing happening in, they don't have the resources. It's just all of these barriers sometimes to supporting people, particularly when it's around safety, you know, the safety comes first and then the safety comes first and then the healing obviously is takes a second priority and that was really hard to witness you know that the kids that I was working with weren't getting that there wasn't always therapeutic outcomes and that was hard and yeah life kind of got hard for a while I had a lot I lost a, a few people in my life I lost my grandparents and yeah I, I kind of entered this phase of quite a lot of loss and a lot of struggle which I don't know if I'm going to go into in particular detail in this episode I might do at another stage but um, my grandfather was hit by a car and my passed away shortly afterwards um, and then my nana passed away my beautiful nana and then my dad had cancer and lost his battle after six years and yeah my world just sort of started falling apart I mean I was still working and I was still working with people Um, I wasn't doing huge amounts of like what I call visible art therapy so I'd be employed in other roles and I'd you know always sneak a little bit of it in like you can't um, you can't step away completely from who you are but I definitely took a back step from working as an art therapist and I think that's just what I needed I needed to try and cope with these other aspects of my life and you know those were the big ones but there was also a lot of other big ones that happened yeah there was a lot of grief and a lot of struggle and a lot of growth and when I felt ready to sort of start to come back to it I wanted to do it in a way that fitted me you know that I felt like I could really be creative I guess I was looking for creativity and combining creativity with my professional work and so I created a business called Sunflower and Ivy and it actually initially started off as a gift box therapeutic gift box idea I think it was when my nana was in hospital and she hadn't been allowed flowers and I just thought like okay well what gifts are we giving people like people that are stuck in hospitals like how can or in in other environments like how can we give them nurturing supportive gifts and so it was fun I poured a lot of resources quite a lot of money into it and it was a complete flop shout out to the like 20 people that did buy one I will forever be grateful but I just didn't have the marketing drive and I didn't have a drive to be like a product business and especially off the back of personal difficulty but it gave me just what I needed so I felt excited I felt hopeful I had yeah these this creative license I was designing you know different things I had a, um, a lovely friend Tom help me with the website and yeah it it kind of like gave me the lift and like reinvigorated me in a way that I really needed it I sort of was starting to wonder what to do next and I think I thought of sort of realized I did want to do some more art teaching some like art making with other people but I was still a little bit cautious about the art therapy side of things so what I did instead was I started running kids art workshops and art classes and I think the first few I ever ran were there was a fairy 
workshop, which is kind of like my inner child's delight um, to make little fairy houses and talk about confidence and how fairies find their confidence. And this, the other workshop, which was, was Monster Factory, and I still run that one today. And that's where kids get to make masks, monster masks. And we talk about fear. And we talk about monsters having fear and the things that we're afraid of. And it's lots of fun. And there's a little bit of emotional resilience in there and emotional support and normalizing of tricky things. Yeah, just sort of had a few kids come to the first few workshops and I was hiring halls. And I continued that for quite a while. And then I started picking up one or two art therapy clients. I decided, okay, like I do want to go back to being doing a little bit of art therapy work like I'm ready and so I started seeing a few kids individually for art therapy which was wonderful and it sort of built over a couple of years I was still working a part-time job um, at the children's hospital which was giving me lots of exposure and lots of knowledge but I got to a point where I was ready to sort of leave and I was getting more referrals and I decided I was going to finally action a dream that I had been sitting on probably for about a year, seriously, um, where I had been Googling and researching and watching the commercial lease space. Um, I wanted a, a shop front or an office suite or, you know, something somewhere where I could set up to make it abundant and creative. I was getting tired of sort of dragging out all my art materials and, you know, using other people's spaces where I just didn't feel like there was so much potential for a creative space to, you know, the space to provide so much. So I did it. I, <laughs> right at the cusp of COVID. So I remember speaking to my lovely friend Karen on the phone and saying, oh, I found this space and I've had a look at it and it's affordable and I think I can make it work even if I get no enrollments because that's everyone's fear or no clients. I could probably pay the rent and probably live off toast off my part-time job. And I'm going to work my part-time job for a little while. And then I will hopefully build it up to a place where I can do it full-time. And she mentioned, <laughs> as friends do, that she was like, oh, just a little bit cautious. Like there's this thing on the news about like this virus and... I don't I don't watch a lot of the news like I I watch even less of it now because I'm so sensitive I do try and keep it tapped into the important things and I have a few people that know to alert me if there's something major going on but I was like Karen I am I'm doing I'm doing this like I just don't think that's really important information right now like I was so fixated on like this is going to happen this is the space I just need to do it because I'm anxious if I don't do it then I won't do it so I signed the lease and I set myself I think about four weeks to like renovate the space and uh, a couple of weeks turned into a couple of months because we were in lockdown and then yeah my first few years of sunflower and ivy in physical form was through the COVID era which was a journey it was a journey sunflower and ivy has grown into this amazing entity so I run my individual art therapy work through sunflower and ivy and I also run like a really diverse range of workshops and classes and have had hundreds of kids 
come and make art with me and in a way that I hope gives them an empowering experience of art and yeah it's been good the last six months have been different again I end up returning to my hometown as I settle in here and attend and nurture other aspects of my life Sunflower and Ivy is roaming again which has been challenging I still have all my stuff and I still plan to open another space absolutely there is so much benefit from having a grounded space being able to create that atmosphere one of the blessings is that I have had a little bit more time you know running a space has a financial demand and an increased time demand but having a little bit more space has allowed me to dip back into my own art making but it's also allowed me some time to dream up other aspects of Sunflower and Ivy and it has allowed me to dream up the Art Muse podcast. I wanted to finish up this episode by answering the three questions I'll be asking each of my guests. So the first question is, what is my go-to nurturing art activity? And I'd have to say... It's a pretty obvious one for me. Um, it's actually painting. Painting has is this really unique mix of challenging and enjoyable for me. There's this manipulation and striving and hard work that goes into trying to translate the image in my head to my painting on paper. And I just really enjoy that. It gets me into the flow and I usually just find myself immersed in that process without having to think about all the worries and anxieties and to-do lists that usually take up my headspace. If I was to be specific at the moment I'm painting a lot in watercolour and gouache. I used to paint a lot in oil and I really loved the sensory quality of oil but I loved the immediacy of watercolour and gouache and the bright colours and the the fact that it's easily transportable and easy to sort of pack away and the second question is what is a barrier for art making and for me I found this um, question quite tricky to answer and I am I'm going to be asking it of every guest and I think probably it's because it changes depending on where I'm at and what I'm doing in life and initially my first reaction was procrastination and then I really judged that and thought do I procrastinate how would I procrastinate because I am a really proactive person and I usually have lots of projects on the go and I guess I'm quite astute Um, and my the judging part of my brain wanted to lump procrastination into a different description and negatively zone it and then so if I say I'm my barrier to art making is procrastination then my initial reaction is that I'm then have these negative labels for myself but I think procrastination can look so different for so many people often it just means that I need to really show up and intentionally make art because I can really easily avoid it and still be productive I can you know pour my energy into other aspects of my work or um, other aspects of life and not make time for the things that nourish me so procrastination is probably definitely my answer (laughs) for that one 
And my third question is, do I have a creative dream or wish at the moment? And I have a lot. Um, I always have lots of different visions for my creativity and for my art therapy practice and obviously for the podcast and for my paintings and my personal life and my loved ones and uh, a dream that kind of pops into my head is just I would love to have a little art studio by the ocean just a little cottage somewhere where I could tuck myself away and paint and the beach was close enough to go for long walks in the winter weather Thank you so much for listening to Art Muse Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, then please like, share or follow on whichever listening app you use. If you want to keep up to date on social media, the best place to find us is on Instagram at artmuse underscore podcast. Thank you so much for listening to Art Muse Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, then please like, share or follow on whichever listening app you use. If you want to keep up to date on social media, the best place to find us is on Instagram at artmuse underscore podcast. Mm-hmm.